0: Former U.S. National Rugby Team captain. Team captain. Head coach and general manager. General manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now, now. Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I'm your host, Alex Magleby I'm also founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Today, I have a very special guest and good friend, 10-year NFL vet, former wide receiver for the Falcons and the Titans, Louisville grad and current Falcons radio show host, Harry Douglas, and aspiring chef, Harry Douglas. How are you, Harry? So great I'm, to have you. I'm doing
1: well. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be on here with you,
0: bud. So great. We're going to do a little word play, okay? I'm just going to name a word and you say the first thing that comes to mind. Cool. Okay,
1: right, Louisville. I'm the greatest. <laughs> Falcons. <laughs> My number one team? Eagles. U.S. Eagles. Let's see. Gold medal soon. Yeah. Rugby. I fell in love with it. Ugh. Free Jacks. Dynasty in the making. <laughs> so good. Tequila. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so good.
0: So good. Thank you so much for joining and a couple of themes I'd loved, you know, you've always been so good to me when I was coaching in the US and I was a, just a young up and coming coach. And just talking about what is life like as a professional athlete, and how do you manage your life? And it's always been so helpful. And I just love to share some of those nuggets. And then also like transitioning. You know, you've transitioned now to a radio career, and you got a great brand, and doing a whole bunch of other things. What is that like? Um, you know, what some what are some things that we can share with our our burgeoning league and our and our players as we build this whole thing to this to this great thing? You know, you grew up, you and your brother. Like, so your brother played in the NBA. Tony yeah. did, right? Yeah. NFL player, longtime NFL player. So statistically speaking, that's, you know, very few brothers have probably done something like that or sisters where one has been at the top of the game in one sport, one has been at the top of the game in the other sport. I would say it's a, it's a massive statistical anomaly. What, like, from your background, you know, what can you look back on? How did you guys both get into that position? What did what, you do growing up to make that
1: happen? I'll say for, for me and my brother to make it professionally, um, I think it all started with my mother and my father. Um, just giving us that structure, um, instilling discipline into us, showing us what hard works mean, showing us what hard work means, and giving back to the community, uh, being a cheerful giver, not always expecting something back when you do something for others. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we do a lot of things in the community, also. But I'll say, every everything leans on my mother and father's uh, shoulders. We didn't play video games growing up. We always maximized every minute of the day that we had uh, free when we weren't in school or doing sports. So yeah. my mother and father always had other things for us to do and things of that nature. That's fantastic.
0: Were they just always there for you, just making sure you were doing the right thing, sticking with the sports? I mean, to be successful in two different sports, were you guys playing a lot of different sports? Was it a, you, know, you were obviously a very good basketball player as well as
1: football. Was that kind of what you guys did just growing up? Well, I'll say growing up, we did all four. Baseball, basketball, football, track. Uh, My brother stopped doing all four in ninth grade. He did two in high school. And I actually did all four in high school up until my 12th grade year. I finished my, uh, all through high school, I did all four sports, but it gave us avenues to not do the wrong thing or get in trouble. Uh, we was always constantly so busy doing sports, running from one sport to another. I remember we started baseball like four years old. I started at four. When I got five, my brother started at four. And from a little kid, we were playing a hundred and something games a year, Max. Literally. But it got to a point where we would run from a baseball game, change our uniform in the car, jump out the car and go play a basketball game. Like it, it was crazy and. And doing that and being so hands on, my, my mom and my father with us, we never had downtime to want to do the right thing. And we were so focused and they kept us so focused to the point of where uh, we always wanted to perfect our craft. And schoolwork came, came first. If we didn't do our studies and get our studies right and make great, great, great grades, my parents wasn't playing. We, we weren't playing sports at all. It's awesome. Did, did you find that you know, as a, as a parent now,
0: you know, Piper's five and Char and James are three, and they're loving kind of the the
1: playtime. Lord Max,
0: <laughs>
1: those awesome. ages. Listen, my daughter is four, and my son just turned one. Yeah, and it is a crazy show over here at my house every day, literally. Yeah. But it's it's crazy because I seen something today, right? Um, and, and it made a lot of sense a lot of principles that we had growing up you can use within your kids but the post actually said people are up here trying to raise their kids the way their parents raised them and that world doesn't even exist anymore you know what I mean now I agree with that 95 percent the other five percent I would say well you can still you can you can still instill the discipline the being respectful uh, being mannerable and uh taking care of that neighbor and things of that sort but it was so true. Like, I sat here literally before I came on here just and just thought about it like, that world literally doesn't exist anymore that I grew up in.
0: <laughs> well said.
1: Yeah. And then, how hard it is it to
0: be a young athlete these days where you're expected to sometimes play only one sport? and you're supposed to you know, peak early on in that sport to get identified for the next team and the next team and the next team. And I just think you know, your story and, and Tony's and being able to play multiple sports, that came second to your academics. And something you said earlier on is just being a good person and giving back to the community I think is brilliant. And it sounds like that was instilled early on in your family, which is fantastic.
1: But I'll say this, Max, also about the multiple sports. Uh, one thing I've, I've seen and learned playing at the professional level, whether it's the NFL or my brother in the NBA, one of the things a lot of these owners and GMs and head coaches love is guys who has the background of playing multiple sports. They yeah. don't really like guys who just stick to one sport. They, yeah. they want to see the versatility and how versatile you are athletic-wise. And the different movements prepare you for everything. Completely. Like I, I tell people it's hard for me to come off a of football field and just jump into basketball the mu- the movements are totally different. The workouts are totally different. So you have to you have to switch your brain and you see Michael Jordan go through when we watched the the, 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 the series yes. of, of Michael Jordan the training from basketball to baseball is 100% different. It's
0: it's it's nothing alike. Totally, totally different. And just probably the, the mental application that you guys oh, yeah. have and like shift from certain type of coaching, certain type of movement, you know, from game-based to more structure to, you know, straight linear running, uh, you know, physically... Uh, yeah psychosomatically such a different development pathway i think that's that's key and obviously having the mentorship of your parents is fantastic you know you talked about that the community piece and i think that's really really important for our young athletes as they come up as we're as we're building the free jacks and we're embedded in the community and really trying to grow that and that
1: piece you, you guys started a nonprofit right and what yeah. what, is, what do you guys do what do you it's the Douglas brothers foundation me and my brother founded it um, i believe in 2009 but we educate and empower underprivileged uh, families and youth. Um, we help them reach their career goals by, while at the same time building build a stronger community uh, for the betterment of the people. And we have a foundation building. We take kids on college tours. Uh, we have a, a coat drive. We have a huge Christmas event. We have a back-to-school bash. We, do, we just recently um, fed essential workers and a 1,000 uh, people Dealing with COVID nineteen, who who weren't able to provide meals for themselves all the time right now, so we did that. Me, my mom, my dad, we did all the cooking. It was <laughs> exhausting, but so gratifying. You know what I mean? It was it was just to see people and the smiles on their faces. To just to get one meal was unbelievable, and we fed the um, the health departments, the the um, police officers, all, also the, a lot of the essential workers, and it was just a great deal. But we try to give these kids an avenue, man, because when I was growing up, yes, I was lucky enough to have my father, but my dad coached so many kids who did not have fathers, who did not have either parent in the household, and, and, may, and maybe needed a, a mentor. And I tell kids all the time uh, a lot of them come from low income families, but I ask them what's the definition of poverty. And a lot of them say dollars and cents, and I tell them it's never dollars and cents, it's a mindset. And until your mindset changes, your circumstances won't change. You gotta, you gotta get certain things out of your mind and start driving certain things inside of your mind, so you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And everything starts with a vision, Max. Like it, the the Bible says, when well, there's no vision, the people will perish." If you don't have a vision for your life, you're stand for anything. Anybody can get you to do anything. So it's just all those things is stealing, stealing, some of those, some of those things within these kids and understanding that. Listen. All you need is one person yourself to believe in you and then one more person that you can you can piggyback off of or learn from as a, as a mentor. And that's all you need.
0: There's, there's some just real nuggets that you said there. And just to pull those out, you know, you, a lot of foundations are awesome. They generate money. Not only the, the, the folks who are intimate with starting the foundation, but they pull in money from other resources. That's really important. But you said something there about your time. Like you're there cooking and connecting and being the relationship with with these young students uh giving them opportunities to discuss life and think about how they can go on to the next level and hearing just tremendous wisdom you know the 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 idea about the the poverty it's analogous to you know what is a professional it's not about being paid it's it's your behaviors right it's what you do every day having that vision uh you know and i had to learn that early on in my career as, as a young rugby player and But I had people, I had mentors, you know, who were able to help me do that. So massive amounts of privilege. And for you to do that with your time and your experience uh, is just massive. And I think that's really, really important for us and our young athletes as they're coming up. You can only train so many days, you know, so many hours of the week. What are you doing with that other time? And are using that to help improve the world around us? And I think that's what sports... At our core, that's what we can do. We can tell a really good story. It's drama. Listen,
1: (laughs) it has gotten to the point to where I enjoy and have more fun than the kids do. And some of these kids, a lot of people that, that label them being bad, dysfunctional, deep down inside, they aren't bad and dysfunctional. They just, they're sick of people pointing the fingers all the time and just need someone to listen to them and then try to direct them instead of just trying to direct them without even understanding where they're coming from.
0: I love that. Just, I absolutely love that. You know, and so speaking of listening and transitioning, like transition is a big part of, of this podcast and all the different parts of sports entertainment and athlete development and everything else. You've just made a big transition. You know, you've spent your career and then your college experience, your high school experience, being a student athlete and then being a professional player and chasing that down. And you're now, you're a, an analyst on the radio, you know, 92.9 The Game in Atlanta you're doing these other things. How did you manage that transition? Like, it's a totally different career, completely.
1: I'll say managing it was, um, it was easy. One thing I understood is that if I wanted to transition into something after football, um, I, I couldn't wait until I was done with football to try to transition. I think it was my last four years in the NFL, every summer when I came home, I used to intern at the radio station, 929 The Game. Yeah, And a guy, Terry Fox, I got to give him a shout out. Terry Fox, Terry Fox, he he set up Ryan Clark before he became big on ESPN and the whole nine and sent him on his way. But T-Fox, man, took me in and my first day, I'm thinking I'm just going to watch behind the glass, right? T-Fox threw me to the fire right on live radio. And I was like, oh man, I was like, okay. But luckily, before I went up there, the two days prior, I prepared. I was just looking at stuff, seeing the show sheet, seeing the lineup and the whole nine uh, on my P's and Q's. And I say that because if I would have just thought I'm going in there just to stand behind the glass, I would have looked very crappy and real, really, really stupid on Radio Max. And And that's one thing I tell people. If you're going to get into the media business, especially if you're playing a sport, do not think you're just going to come off the field or whatever it is court and just jump into media and you do not have to put the time in, prepare, study. I, you can ask my wife, Max, I probably every day I probably watch three hours of film every day right now. I probably watch three hours of film. Like, anyway. like your own voice, like to oh. breaking down your voice, like looking oh. at other people doing it well. Yep. That's awesome. And um, I'll say, man, it's a thing of beauty and. Lord, don't let it be a week where I have to go do something with ESPN or I know I have to do something for the radio. I'm probably spending five to six to seven hours a day preparing because I I, I say this, I never wanted to get caught being unprepared. I never wanted to let my teammates down, whether it's on the field, whether it's in the media, whether it's on a job, anything of that nature. I never wanted to have that burden on my shoulders of, of letting my teammates down because I wasn't prepared. I love that. There's no magic, right? It's, it's uh, practice
0: makes permanent. And that yeah. practice piece is so important. Like going back to that professionalism, we had Doug Lamov on the other day. He's a teaching guru, guru teach like a champion. He's he's also a great mentor for coaches. You know, and, and he, he talks about that a lot as the process of, of learning and the process of teaching, but that preparation, right? And having... Yeah very good intent around that preparation is so key and there is no magic there is no magic to knowledge transfer it's something you have to practice and i absolutely love
1: that and another thing that that, that, that may help a lot of guys with the transition is why you're playing and it seems it seems so small but it's so important when you go out to restaurants don't be having your earphone don't have your earphones in and your, your hood over your head acting like you don't want to interact or converse with people if you only knew how many people I've met at all type of levels, max, and all types of line of work, just from sitting at a bar and conversing with them and being personable. Yeah, you, listen, it is crazy. You never know. I remember one time I was sitting there, and um, one of my mentors of mine, when we met, he was like, "I know who you are," and I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> I was like. It's weird. I was like, "What's your name?" And he told me. I was like, "Oh wow, okay." <laughs> like now, he he helps me along the way. Um, it, it's just it's just beautiful. I meet so many people in that area. I meet a lot of people. I do a lot of community stuff for like that. And it's just don't ever feel like you're too good to speak to someone, or yeah. can you never know where it may take you. Because if I had a, a choice between, I'll say, ten million dollars in relationships. I'm going to take the relationships every time, Max, because the relationships can get me to 10 mil. Yeah. If you, if you, if you, if you know what you're doing, if you feel them the right way.
0: I absolutely love that. You know, and we see that a lot, especially with our younger players. You know, the whole idea is I just want to be perfect at my craft of being a player. Or we see this even in the front office, and I've fallen victim to this as well. I just want to be a great executive. I just really want to do that and just really focus on my spreadsheets and, our, you know, making sure that all the pieces of this – Puzzle fit together, but you know my my board and I we had a great chat. This is this spring, and um, you know their advice was listen. You're, you're great internally here, but we need to share that, right? We need to share this experience with others. And that's a really, really important piece, opening up, being vulnerable and yes. meeting new people and, and sharing the greatness that's happening. And Harry, I think that's just a, just a massively valuable point that you can't, you can't just be a rugby player. You can't just be a football player. You got to be a person, you got to be approachable. And that's really the, the, the greatness of, of sport. And, and it opens those doors to be able to do that and just being a regular dude. I think it's it's awesome. What's your day to day now like? I mean, how are you managing this?
1: Cause you have a video, you got the young kids. What does it look like? <laughs> wow. I'll say like right now. Every morning I get up. So I've one of the things that's probably saved me during this quarantine. So we've been quarantined with our kids since March. Yeah. We recently this past weekend went to Mexico and was like, forget it. We have to get out of here. Yeah. Like it's it's it has hit the boiling point. So you went to some place even hotter than Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was the ocean, so we had to breeze. <laughs> so we, we was like, cool. But I'll say I, I wake up every morning. I wake up every morning at 6 a.m. Um, no matter what. That's just me. I can go to bed at 3 a.m. I'm up at 6 a.m. And I cook breakfast for my family. Um, I spend time with my kids. Uh, yesterday, i, I used use yesterday for an example. I took my, my son and my daughter out. For an hour, I pull them up all kind of heels in my neighborhood on in their little wagon. My legs are killing me. <laughs> and my daughter was like, I don't wanna go home yet, daddy. Keep going. Okay, baby, I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> but in the no. back of my mind, I'm like, geez. <laughs> but it was fun. Um my wife does learning time with, with, with my daughter and then I'll get my son and do stuff with him. Uh I'll probably I I'll get that little break while I watch about three hours of film. Like when I finish with this, I'm probably going to watch three hours of film, and then I cook dinner. I've uh, took on my chef skills. I always been a great cook. I just was so focused on my craft to the point of where I didn't do it as much. But now I cook almost every day, lunch, dinner, breakfast. So, so-, so-, so- my, my my wife is thankful for that because she's like, this really has saved you. It made you sane during this quarantine, because I feel like you would have went crazy if you only was just working out. Like I work, I probably work out still about two hours a day. So I actually built my stuff here at the house, so I could just go right in my basement and and do my stuff down there. And my kids come down there sometimes. My son loves it down there. My daughter, she thinks she's working out. She's like, ah, daddy, she's hilarious. My daughter is a mirror image of me, man.
0: Hilarious. I can't imagine. I just. (laughs) I'll be doing push or something like the best I can do now. And um, Piper will come and she'll pretend to do push-ups next to me and look at me. <laughs> it's so easy. What's wrong with you,
1: Dad? <laughs> the. Is your daughter the oldest?
0: Yeah, Piper's five. Yeah. It's, it's it's
1: it's. I love both of my kids like 100. percent But having a daughter first and her being the oldest, it's, it's so hilarious to me. And isn't it funny how they play us? Like <laughs> oh, <sure. laughs> she has me so rap. My wife's like, "You're so you're so wrapped." She plays you every day.
0: She's way more intelligent than I am. At- <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So keeping busy, you know, we talked earlier about like teammates and, and just what what makes a good teammate? Like in your experience going down that path, um, you are obviously a great teammate, leader in the locker room, but what makes a good teammate? You know, we talked about mentorship. Who was a good teammate? You don't have to name names, but kind of what characteristics did they have that made them good teammates?
1: I'll say number one is character. Um, what you do when, when no one's watching you. Because yes, you're gonna you're gonna do your work while while everyone is together and unified uh, at the facility. But what do you do when you're not with everybody? Do you still put that extra work in? Are you still trying to get over the hump? Are you trying to get a beat over guys? A, a great teammate is encouraging. Um, he knows how to say negative things without demeaning his teammates or he knows and understands each one of his teammates he's uh, he understands who i can yell at and, and be more aggressive with versus who i need to uh, tone down a taper with a little bit and, and be more sensitive uh towards uh, a great teammate is accountable a great teammate is disciplined a great teammate leads by an example um a great teammate will not a great uh, i'll tell you this a great teammate doesn't sit there and wait for a coach to address A, B, C, or D. Great teammates, and you see this with most teams who, that win. Uh, it's, it's, it goes on within. So when the coach finally does say it, it's just being echoed twice. Yeah, awesome. And that's one thing I love about the teams I've, I've been on and I had the luxury to be on in my career. We It's times where I'm in a meeting room with Roddy, Julio, Devin Hester, and Eric Weems, and it's like, our coach don't have to come in and tell us things. We hold, we're so close and hold accountable, we're going to let each other know, You listen, you did this wrong. This is what you you got to do it here. Or good job. Hey, man, I appreciate you. Hey, thank you for telling me what I have on this. A, B, C, or D. Because at the end of the day, it's one band, one sound. Uh, we, we always viewed it as... This is our group. Yes, we want to be great as an offense, but we, we broke it down even bigger than that. We'll like, say, okay, this is the receiver group. If one guy fall off, we all fall off. No man left behind. And that's how it was. We literally did everything together. We worked out together. We went to ate together. We went on vacations together. All of those things. And the te- both the teams I was on, the Titans and the Falcons, um, the locker room was so unified. And Mags, when I say this now, it's not like that everywhere. It's not like it's not it's not like that anywhere. You have guys that may be in your same room telling you the wrong thing because they know they want to take your spot. I've never had to experience that. I've never been on teams like that. I've heard guys tell me stories about that. But defensive linemen come into the, a receiver's house to come kick it and eat, watch Monday Night Football, play cards. Like we were so unified, old linemen hanging out with DBs. Like, it was none of that we just a receiver group. We're hanging out with each other. The teams I was on in Tennessee and Atlanta were so unified to the point of where it was great. And that's why we
0: won. Yeah, you get those when you're doing things like that, right, where it's not just about the field or the classroom space. You're getting those collisions outside of it informally. It's really where a lot of those – bonds of trust really happen so that I know that you believe in me, right? I believe that you believe in me. I'm going to do my job. And if I don't do that, my job, you're going to be honest with me about that. So many, so many great nuggets in that. And beyond that, that's not just for players. It's for coaches, but where we see, where we see a lot of that now is in the front office as we're building a startup and building a business. You mentioned you know that point a great teammate is somebody who's just doing the work. You know, you're studying three hours of video right now to be the best that you possibly can be as an analyst. And a lot of that work happens behind the scenes to be a great marketer or to be a great salesperson or to be a great accountant for, for this team and doing that extra work that nobody's actually going to really see, but so that the whole group can produce, I think is, is a really valuable point that we have to carry on from the sport itself into, into the front office. I think it's just fantastic.
1: Meg, uh, I'll say this also though. Um, I, I had a chance to speak at a, um, a coaching clinic, a coaching summit um, here at the Mercedes Benz stadium here in Atlanta. where all the, the high school coaches came, came from uh, over Georgia. And one of the things I, I spoke with them about is that great coaches understand every single player. When, when I mean understand, not just I understand 50 and the other 10. No, great coaches know and understand everything about their players. They know how to get the best out of their players. They Great coaches know how to adapt to their players and not always think it's just their system that, that, that drives the yard. No, sometimes – it's, it's going to be that player and how can you adjust things around that player great coaches understand that and you see it with Pete Carroll you see it with Dan Quinn you see it with Bill Belichick you see it with guys like that that's how they are and, and,
0: and exactly right and that's just good that's good parenting too right yes the understanding yep. different tools to use based on the needs of the individual and that if we collectively do that then you know each individual is going to going to grow and and then be the best that they possibly can be I often equate it like Quality coaches that I've that I've been with, not so much as engineering. I was an engineer background. It was very linear and systems built and putting complex things together, like building a motor, fantastic. And everybody has a role and it works perfect. And when it doesn't work perfect, because the oil is not right, you tweak it. But really, it's more like being a gardener, right? It's you really you're you're planting crops, but the crops need to grow, and you kind of can control a little bit of the sunlight, can control a little bit of the water, but you're really just trying to make an environment where each plant can do its very best. And I think that's a really good analogy to really quality coaching, but leadership, in the front office, on the field, um, I think it's 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 massively important. As we build the freejacks, we're trying to figure out ways to continue to make it really attractive for not only players but coaches and and you know and, and office staff to want to be a part of this and part of this whole thing. From a player's perspective, you've been around some you know a lot of different environments, high performance. Some really came together, like you said. What can what can the organization do? And again, this is not a massive money thing at, at the moment to make that that environment someplace that you know what. I would love to play with that team. I want to be with that team.
1: I'll say number one, and I mean, and this, this, the first one's going to be cliche. It's uh, a winning culture. Uh, Establishing a winning culture and starting to to win. Number two, I would probably say um, accountability across the board. Um, One thing I love about the Patriots so much is that you see Tom Brady when he was there, scampering and running to practice so he's not late. You know what I mean? Like, because Bill Belichick, one thing guys tell me that they play there, it's like it, when they get to Monday and they and they get to on that big screen, everyone's getting called out. If you didn't do your job, it didn't matter who you were, you're getting called out. Now, and I always believe in you don't have to treat everyone to the same, but you have to respect everyone. Yeah. But just holding everyone accountable um, at a, at, to, a, to a certain extent is is – My number two, winning coaches, number one, Um, I would say um, having an open door policy, allowing players not to feel trapped, like they can't come talk to a coach, come talk to an executive, come talk to an owner about anything. That's one thing that's very, very key, because in 2020, the guys may be different from back (laughs) back in the day, you know what I mean? Now guys need that. Guys need that nurturing. They need those coaches that are. You don't necessarily have to be a tradition a players players coach, but have the policy that this player can come to me and talk to me about anything, and I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to keep it between me and him. Uh, I'll say a, a a respectful culture where everyone respects everyone. Yeah, I think those those are those are the main things, man winning going
0: back to that and you put that number one like winning in terms of like we're 16 and 0 is that or is that how you're defining winning no you don't have to be 16 and 0 but
1: just um if we're talking from a football perspective um i'll say 10 to 11 plus wins on a consistent basis going to the playoffs on a consistent basis another part that's important is your core group your core group has to be strong and and very dominant. You know what I mean? I, th- I think that's when you – and and, and, I, and I'll say this. A lot of teams now in the NFL, they want to get rid of veteran players and, and push them out of the door. And when you see them do that, you see the team success drops off a lot because uh, a lot of these young guys, when they come in, they have no clue. For me, I had Brian Finnery. I, he played 10-plus years. I had Roddy White. He played 10 plus years. I had Joe Horn, he played 10 plus years. I had Michael Jenkins, he played 10 plus years. I had these guys, I had Tony Gonzalez. My lockers are between Tony Gonzalez and Roddy White. So I, I I have guys all over the place. Tony taught me how to eat certain things, take care of my body. Finn taught me how to be a pro. Roddy taught me how to just be dogish on the field. It's just so many different things these guys can teach you, but it's all about that veteran leadership and your core players because once your core players are solid, everything else will trickle down to everyone else because either the, the other guys are gonna get with the program or they're not gonna be there by the The core
0: players set those behavior norms, right? So yeah. you come in as a young player and you may have a lot of talent, but now you got to learn those behavior norms so that can carry on and you can play it, you know, over 17 weeks and 16 games and go through that grind. And okay, here's some behaviors and actions that you have to do to be successful in, in this league. And it's so important. You see that in the rugby world cup, you know, the teams that win typically that average age is about 28 and it's a really good combination of a core group that have probably been to two or three world cups. Right. And they've, they've seen it from a lot of angles and some youth coming up who are, you know, bringing that extra new talent and speed but that combination uh, is very much a winning combination we see in the rugby world
1: as well. I got to share a story with you really quick, Mags. So let me tell you how it got me my, my rookie year, right? <laughs> so we, we won a game. We had a victory Monday. It was our first victory Monday. Um, our off days are Tuesdays. So <laughs> when Coach said victory Monday, I'm thinking, okay, victory Monday. We'll have to go in. I was the only person that did not go in. From that point on, for the rest of my career, I worked out on every victory Monday and every off day on Tuesday, the rest of my career. Yeah. You, you learned pretty quick. But it was just, and it's not even like guys were like, Hey man, you didn't come. It was just the weight of someone coming to me and was like, Hey, where were you at yesterday? Hey, I did this, this, is so, 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 so. It was my rookie, I never forget it. Never again did I miss a Monday, a victory Monday, or even on an off day, our Tuesdays. I worked out every, every, every time. That yeah. yeah, one time it was like you know, like high school football. You know, two
0: days, and I remember one time you know you had to be up at six in the morning. You were at the high school gymnasium by like six forty-five in the morning. And I would slept through my alarm, and just the the embarrassment um, that, that I just felt like I was oh, yeah. down. You know and that just that feeling and you know, that weight and like it's almost like you can never make it up and you're scrambling and your bike can't go fast
1: enough. <laughs> look, doesn't doesn't it feel like um, the butterflies in your stomach like you're about to get a spanking like growing up? <laughs> and it's like I'm I'm, I'm just a grown man now and I'm getting butterflies. I don't even want to walk in here. I right <laughs> <Yeah, now. laughs> don't want to get there because you're trying
0: like, you're so to you're pedal as fast as you can. It's just not fast oh, enough. Football helmets falling off and you're. you're just, <laughs> Yes, the worst feeling in the world, absolutely worst feeling in the world. I got some rapid fire questions for you. Okay, cool. NFL player who without a weapon
1: could defeat a grizzly bear? Roddy White. He was a state champ wrestler in high school. Two, I think two times state champion in yeah. wrestling in high school. So just a bad a fast aggressive. Um, <laughs> He's a dog, man.
0: Okay. Awesome. Now, now we got to recruit him to rugby then. That's, that's my rugby, like get him to, to rugby. Mm. If you were a coach from the Free Jacks, what one movie would you use to uh, be a fun motivation movie? Ooh, um,
1: I'm broken. Oh, nice. What a great pick. Tell me why. Um, just because it touches on the, the mental capacity of not just sports but life. Yeah. Um, I tell people once you've learned mental toughness, nothing in this, this world could probably bother you. Yeah. Are you defining mental toughness um it's, it's different variations of it it, all, it it depends on your body it depends on when it click turns on for you uh, for me i know my mental toughness kicks in probably a lot later than a lot of people because i'm so in shape but like say I'm, I'm tired and my body i know my body can't go anymore once my mental kick in i know i can go for 45 minutes another hour literally yeah, it's awesome. When it cut, it, it I, I use it when it comes to my kids. <laughs> like when I'm hearing the constant, constant crying and <laughs> oh, tantrums, and it's no, I don't want to take a bath. No, I don't want to go to sleep. No, I don't want to take a nap. I have to just take deep breaths and let my mental kick in, so I don't lose it, Mags.
0: <laughs> I'm there. Brook will be at the hospital, and you know, <laughs> and I'll be you know doing the bath and the thing, and I just remind myself there's probably an evolutionary reason why this sounds irritating is so as a parent I can help solve the problem, <laughs> I can help solve the problem, right? End <laughs> that noise, right? So I completely agree. Uh, what's something you've never done but really want to? Um, Daytona 500.
1: Want to go to Daytona 500? Drive. Um, just go. Just yep. the, the atmosphere is amazing, but it's always Valentine's weekend. So it's, that's, it's, so. <laughs> it's never going to happen. I may have to tell my wife one time listen, we're going to celebrate Valentine's weekend the week before because I'm going to Daytona 500. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> <laughs> stab it. <laughs> Just going to be like, uh, no. <laughs> um,
0: and last one, and I ask everybody if you were running the Free Jacks today, the whole kit and caboodle, what would
1: you be focusing on? I would say my core group. It's more, it's more important than anything. You have, to, you have to solidify that core group of guys so they can set the trend and be the trendsetters for the rest of the entire organization. And, of course,
0: you, you want to keep them together for a long time so you're not constantly reinventing that. Yep. An
1: example we have of that of, uh, is in NFL is Kansas City. You just see what they did with Patrick Mahomes. You see what they did with Chris Jones. They start defensive player. They have Tyra Matthew for a long time. They have Tyra Hill for some more time. They revamped Sammy Watkins, uh, Sammy Watkins' contract so he can be back this year. Uh, it's just when you know you have a great core group, you have to do whatever you can to keep those guys together. Because as I learned, you may be in the NFC Championship game one year and you might not see it again no more the rest of your career. <laughs> so
0: don't, don't change a core group. As you know, like, uh, one of the big things is you know get the right core group, and then as it matures, you can one can leave, one can come exactly. Um, but that whole group, that anchor, we've seen it with the U.S. Eagles, the Olympic sevens team. Right, They've had that core group, and Mike's done a great job um, mm-hmm. and through, and you're starting to see that on the women's side as well. And now they're, you know, kind of in that top competition, which is fantastic.
1: So tell me more about this chef thing. you share any of that with our audience? Listen, so um, and it's not just regular food now. Like last night I cooked some, uh, some garlic shrimp with some sauteed green beans with some oh, white rice. Uh, one day, I cooked some lamb chops with some, um, God, I can't remember what I cooked it with. I know it was mashed potatoes
0: and Brussels wow, sprouts. That's how you do the chefing for your kid's birthday. That looked good.
1: <laughs> I make homemade crab cakes. and I'll do, I do it all, Max. The funny thing about it is that the only seafood I eat is shrimp. So when I cook seafood for other people, I'm literally going off faith and in believing in my, in my skills that people are going to love it because I'm not tasting it. So it's 100% faith in what I'm doing. That is awesome. So is there
0: a Harry's Snap Claws
1: restaurant coming out here pretty soon? Well, actually, my, my parents are opening up a catering business. Um, it's called H&S Catering. So awesome. I, I'll be helping them a lot with that. And eventually, we, down the line, we do want to open up a restaurant. Because we're, we're all three. Of, my parents taught me how to cook when I was seven years old. So all three of us are like great cooks. Like my, my dad taught my mother uh, when they were young. And now they're both amazing cooks. They taught me. My brother didn't get it, though. So that's like me now. <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't get it. He didn't get it at all.
0: Yeah. <laughs> folks in Atlanta, is there catering business in Atlanta?
1: Yeah, it is. It's in, um, in the town where I grew up that's great yep. okay where's that Jonesboro. Yep, Jonesboro, georgia awesome
0: uh how do folks find you on instagram twitter what do you prefer
1: uh it's the i got the same handle it's h douglas 83 so h d-o-u-g-l-e-s 83 i love it that's great me <laughs> all right <laughs> bud
0: great to see you thank you Next week, I welcome special guest Allison Fillmore, Executive Director of the Tour Championship. She is awesome, and she's cut her teeth in all sides of the sports entertainment business. So excited to dig into it with her. You just can't miss this conversation. Tune in next week to Full Contact CEO.